I'm Deontay Burton, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Hamadou Diallo. Hey, I'm Danilo Gallinari. I'm Chris Paul, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Louis Dort, and I'm down to Dort. What's Dort? I'm not gonna lie, I don't know what that was. In English, bro. I'm Darius Baisley, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shake Gilders Alexander. I'm Steven Adams. I'm Andre Robinson, and I'm down to dunk. Yeah. On you. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me today is my good friend, Michele Barra. Michele, what's up? I'm still trying to pretend that the Milwaukee game doesn't exist. <laughs> and it seems that all the Thunder Twitter is trying, actively trying to do the same. Yeah. Oh, it's it's there, baby. And it, you know, you dig right into the big team stats. I was doing this last night and kind of looking and seeing what's the difference. You're like, whoa, because week to week, the, the change is minimal week to week. You know, you can look back months and see, okay, they've come a long way. But over the past two months, like there's just been these incremental changes and they've been in, in a positive direction mostly for OKC. But you looked after that Milwaukee game, you lose by 50 to somebody I guess they didn't lose quite by 50, but they lost by 50. Then it changes things quite a bit. You know, they were ahead of the Miami Heat in net rating. They fell pretty far behind them. Their net rating fell to a 2.3. They're still 11th, so it's not like they're terrible. Their defense is 10th. I think they they stayed steady at 10th in defense at 108.5. But then their offense fell because they were close to being a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. They fell to 14th in offense, a 110.8. Their offense was just as about as bad as it could be. And Milwaukee just stomped OKC in, you know, in Milwaukee. No Gallinari, but they also didn't have Chris Middleton. Yep. Uh, so you can't say like, oh, it's without Gallinari. No big. They're missing an all-star and their second best player. So, I mean, I can't, I can't go. I can't even go there where it's like, oh, no Gallinari, you know, no. No big deal. It's like, I don't know. And and so I'm I'm extremely interested. And it's really kind of crazy to me that they get to play the Clippers tomorrow night because it offers this chance for redemption against a really good team. And at least and the Thunder haven't done this really all season more than a handful of times. But it's like, okay, just show up. Just show up. Just fight. And the, I'm not saying the Thunder didn't show up and fight, but let's not lose by twenty to the Clippers yeah. uh, on Tuesday night in Oklahoma City. And it helps that it's in OKC. It helps that you've got your power forward back and you're not starting Hami, which sounded like an interesting idea. Uh, and then it quickly became not an interesting idea. <laughs> the, uh, the spacing is just that bad. With yeah. I mean, You go from one of the best shooters and shot creators at that position to a guy that we don't even know if he plays that position and he can't shoot. And no one, will, no one will guard him, and so it just it it created a predicament pretty quickly. Uh, but it, they'll they'll have Gallo back. They'll have practice. They've practiced, which is helpful. They'll practice today, which I think is really good to be able to look at the film from that game and say, wait a minute, <laughs> like we've got a lot to work on here. And so it's nice to kind of, it's nice to have a humbling moment, like a truly humbling moment. A lot of people step up to the podium after accepting an award and say they're so, so humbled by the award. No, that's not what being humbled is. 
being humbled is losing by 50 to the bucks. Like that's an actual <laughs> humbling moment. And it's nice to be able to, ha- it's, that's where you learn. That's where you yeah. grow. It's like, I think it's a good growing moments for a lot of the young guys. And even for this team as a whole, because I think there was a lot of momentum behind Oklahoma city before that game. It's like, Oh, this, this might be the team. This, the, the scariest team to play come playoff time. And then they just get crushed by the bucks. It's like, Oh, okay. Let's dial that back a little bit. Let's regroup. Let's figure out who we are and let's push forward. Uh, because come playoff time, you're going to be playing teams that are really good. And the Thunder are going to have to bring effort. Like they just, they can't afford to play like that, you know, down the stretch. And so also the Bucks are easily one of the best teams of one of the best regular season teams of all time. I believe that. Like they're, yeah. they're just that level of team. They're going to win 70 games. And people are like, well, are they going to push for 70 games? I don't know. Giannis isn't playing 30 minutes a game. Is that pushing? Yeah. I mean, if he's playing 35 minutes a game, I would get it. I'd be like, yeah, they're kind of pushing a little bit. They're not pushing. They're just crushing people. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the quality of play that they had uh, when they faced the Thunder was was really good. Really, really good. I mean, they, they play the right way. They have um, a clearly and defined scheme to get like people open. They, they, they are very good in attacking um via dribble penetration either with Janis or uh with with the guards and and then they have the transition game the rebound game i mean milwaukee is um is a well coached well built team that i think it's ready i mean they 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 are ready to to make noise in the postseason they they were last season and they they had a few issues in the playoffs it seems that right now they they are on on a different level, and maybe this is me just jinxing the, the Bucks, but I really believe that the way they play this season is different from the one that they had last season. And the fact that Giannis is starting to shooting trees now uh, in yeah. a reliable way, uh, that for him means just 32, 33%, that's enough to, to, to take them in the playoffs, is really incredible. Um, to, to look in a positive way, um, on the last three games that I think were particularly bad for OKC in general, um, I think that one of the issues for OKC was just not hitting the right shots. Because when I look into the box score and I see that over the last three games, OKC attempted to almost 27 open to wide open three-pointers and they, they hit just around 30%. It means that OKC left something there that wasn't... Like it was there to take. Uh, and so on one hand, they probably had not the best shooter taking those shots because Gallo missed some time and, and Diallo took some of them. Dort took a lot of, uh, well, not a lot of, a couple of trees. But still, when you see your team going two and one while shooting 30% in open trees, you kind of can say, well, yeah, I mean, you don't, you never want to lose by, by 50, but, but you can justify it at least the struggle that they had in the first two uh, two games of the week. Um, I'm very curious to see the approach that OKC will have defensively against the Clippers. Because mm-hmm. with Gallo, probably, well, the offense will come. And if it doesn't come, I, I'm not really uh, scared uh, about their offense coming playoffs time. Because they, they showed us many, many times that they can get to a shot, especially in clutch time. But I'm very curious 
to see how they are going to guard the Clippers. Because this is a very interesting matchup. It could be the first round of the playoffs, especially if OKC stays in sixth slash seventh place in the West. And so seeing how they will face um, two very good guards, like two very good wings like uh, Kawhi and Paul George, um, it will be extremely interesting. I, I want to see who Gallo is going to guard. Uh, because yeah. it's not trivial. I'm not sure it's going to be either Kawhi or Paul George. And so I really want to see how they are going to, to match up with them. Yeah, what do you do? You put them on Beverly? Uh, it can be. Uh, or I, I don't know. I mean, it sounds it sounds stupid put Gallo in, uh, on either Kawhi or George. But maybe uh, Billy wants to start him there and then... Uh, see how how it goes yeah yeah I mean they don't have a lot of options for big wings that can guard guys Mm -hmm. very actually very little (laughs) to go to I mean you have Dort who will start and probably start on Kawhi I would guess Um, Uh, yes and no it's hard to say I mean who who do you think guards I think Lugard I think that Lou will, will, will be on Paul George because of yeah. the screening actions. Because Lou is very good, very, very good in guarding off-screen actions. And on the other end, I think that Shea's length is the best you can do against Kawhi. Because Kawhi has a very high point of release and he will get to, to his shots anyway. But probably having a little bit more of length on him, uh, it's the good choice. I, I don't know, but if I was to make the decision, then I would go that route. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're going to have to, I think you are probably right. I think that makes a lot of sense. And this, this is where the thunder do really miss a guy like Andre, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know what's going on with him. It's not practicing with the team. He's been back in OKC. I don't know what the purpose of it is. Is it to check out his health? to see how he's doing. Is he trying to rejoin the team? I don't know. I'm not holding my breath on any of it. And I, if, if I were you, I wouldn't hold your breath on it either. Uh, but it is interesting because the Thunder are in desperate need of a bigger wing that can guard guys. And if there was some kind of chance of him returning, I think it would be huge for this team, even if he just played off the bench. You know, 10 minutes a game. Uh, you know, you take those minutes from guys like Hami or even Terrence. And Terrence defended Paul George last time and defended him well. And so this might be a game where you just see a lot of Terrence Ferguson too. And I don't think he starts, but I think this could be a, I trust him. I've seen him do it. And you may see them close the game with Terrence, um, even over Lou. And so I'm interested. It, to me, it's an interesting matchup in that way. It's you have this hodgepodge group of young wings that who do we trust? We know that we need Nader shooting. We know that we need uh, Dort's energy and his defense, and we know that we need Ferguson's defense. But like, how reliable is any of that? <laughs> and what and how do they yeah. fit? And you know. When it comes down to it, you really want to play the three-guard lineup. I think this is one of the harder teams to play the three-guard lineup against. Uh, I think that you 
that they will put Dennis on one of those guys uh, in the th- with in the three guard lineup. That's that will happen. And can you get away with Dennis Schroeder guarding Paul George or Kawhi Leonard? And you know some of these taller guys do struggle with very active shorter players. I mean Patrick Beverly gave KD all sorts of trouble. So did Tony Allen. So is Marcus Smart. And so you wonder, and he's not in that caliber of defender, but I think that he's pesky enough to, to guard one of those guys, but are they going to overpower him? And uh, that, that will be a question because if the Thunder are going to beat the Clippers, I think in large part, it's going to be, can the three guard lineup thrive against this team? And it, to me, it's a huge question mark and it's a huge question mark for the postseason. Uh, for sure, because this could be the matchup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that a guy like Kawhi will have zero issue being guarded by by Dennis Schroeder. He's too powerful. He knows how to use his physicality. He doesn't really have to dribble the ball in order to be effective. And so I, I think that Dennis could be effective against even taller guys like Luca that likes to to put the ball on the floor. And, and then there you can just be very active, trying to um, to deter drives in a certain direction. But Kawhi, like unless he picks up the ball like uh, four feet behind the three point line, he will he is going to pull up against Dennis every single time. And yeah. I am not sure that is going to happen. With Paul George, maybe it's a little bit better because, I mean, he can follow him. Uh, he can stay with him in terms of his dribble. And yeah, he'll have all sort of trouble guarding him in the post. But if you get Paul George in the post, then I think that 4KC is already a half a win um, on the possession because you can you can then um, maybe send some help and, and see, uh, like... And, and try different stuff. Um, but yeah, against Kawhi, I don't, I don't really see that. The problem is, what if they they start hunt sort sort, sort of like uh, a certain mashup? What do you do there? Um, like, for example, having Beverly screen or having Paul George mm-hmm. screen for Kawhi so that Kawhi hands up on Dennis Schroeder. I mean, all this sort of stuff will be uh, tested, I think. Um, no doubt. Yeah, and so we'll see. It, it's interesting. It will be an interesting game for sure. Well, and they're going to hunt Gallo too if he's out there. Yeah. Well, yes, but I mean, Gallo is very uh, prone to be bad on heavy dribbling, like like guy who can really create off the dribble. Sure. And as good as the Clippers are, and I think they will be really, really good, the only player that I think you have to be scared of uh, in terms of switching with Gallo is Williams because he can cook him, but he's not a guy that will go to the, uh, to the rim a lot. He, he also like to, to take pull up trees and stuff like that. So I don't know. Um, For once, this doesn't concern me, me terribly. Like if you play Donovan Mitchell, I mean, they will hunt him all night. Yeah. And probably the same goes for other ball handlers. Um, The Clippers, yeah, the Rockets. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Rockets will will try to do whatever they can to um, to 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 have Harden matched up on on Gallo, and maybe Gallo can sustain like five six minutes of good good defense. But if you ask him to do it for four games, thirty minutes a night, it, it will be a problem. 
Yeah. <laughs> It'll definitely be a problem. And I'm interested to watch this, but this Clippers team healthy mm-hmm. because there's just a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. Um, you know, Kawhi, Lou Williams, Paul George, Montrez Harrell is these primary guys. You add Marcus Morris to that. Who's a guy who likes to get up shots, you know? And then we haven't even talked about Landry Shamit. Um, there's just a lot of guys. You add Reggie Jackson to the mix, who we know likes to get up shots. And so there's just a lot of mouths to feed on that team. And to me, the pecking order is is really interesting for them. And so I'm interested to watch them and kind of see how yeah. that unfolds because there is that clear, it's Paul George and it's Kawhi. Like those are the guys. And that's who it's going to run through. Primarily Kawhi, Paul George is secondary. And then then who is it? Is it Lou Williams? Is it Harrell? Is it Marcus Morris? I think all those guys would like to think that they're next in line. But um, <clears throat> there's a lot. There's a lot there. And it's hard. It's, a hard to, it's hard to balance that in the NBA when you have all those kind of guys, especially you have an almost 30-year-old Reggie Jackson who believes the world in himself. And maybe he has been humbled by that situation and being bought out and you know, he's ready to just contribute, but I don't know. We've seen we've seen many sides of, of Reggie through the years. And so to me they're just they're an interesting team that, you know, there are varying levels of concern about them out there. There's some people that are really concerned about them, and there's some people that are like, No, I think they're gonna be fine. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I also wonder um what happens to their defense. Uh, on any given night because they can be great and they have probably three of the best 10 perimeter defenders on the NBA uh, in the NBA and they have probably the worst pick and roll coverage in the second unit um, because Harold and and Lou Williams are not very good Um, and so I wonder if their first unit defense can really hold uh, because with the second lines, I don't think they have enough uh, to 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 like to compete against um, the best. Probably yes to 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 face off OKC. That that probably is enough. But I'm more curious about their their commitment on every single night. I mean, I mean, I, I saw like glimpses glimpses of their games. I mean, um, t- during the season, and at times it seems that they are not really into that. They are not always into it. They, they don't have the identity. If you watched Milwaukee, I mean, they have a clear identity. We'd like to pause for a brief minute to ask you, our faithful and wonderful listeners, to click into the show notes for today's episode and then follow the link that's there for a very short survey. You all know so much about us, what makes us grateful and blessed and miffed and peeved, but we don't know much about you. The survey is 11 super simple questions that will take you under one minute to do, I promise. So head over to the show notes for today's episode and click on that link. This is something that will help us make our show better and help us reach more people. So we would really appreciate it if you just take the one minute that it will take to answer these questions. So yeah, to me, the the Bucks are not a mystery. Uh, They're very, very good. And the Eastern Conference isn't quite as interesting because even if a lot of people love to use point differential as one of the markers of how good is this team and definitely comparing in past eras. Uh, But their point differential is twice as good as Toronto and Boston. And so if that continues to carry out, 
it's uh, to me, it's a foregone conclusion what will happen in the Eastern Conference. But you know, the Boston Celtics really have made me think twice about it a little bit just because of the emergence of Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just been unbelievable. And if they can get guys like Gordon Hayward to make shots, because Hayward, I don't. Did you watch the Rockets game, the Celtics Rockets game? It was incredible. Incredible. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Russell, Russell one. Russell was unbelievable. <laughs> he was so good. <clears throat> he was so much fun in that game, and he was just a monster. And it was really fun to watch him do that. But then that Celtics team was really fun, and they had. Hayward had this open corner three that would have basically won them the game mm-hmm. and just clanked it. And so oh. are those guys going to deliver in the moments that they need to? Because those are the type of guys like the Robert Ories and Derek Fishers and, um, you know, Pedro Stoyakovic on the Mavericks and like all these guys that just need to deliver. Like you just, we just need one shot. Mike Miller, you know, for the heat. Yeah. They have those guys. And the Bucks have a lot of those type of guys, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and do the Celtics have those guys? Marcus Smart is one of those guys for the Celtics. Marcus Smart hit this crazy three at the end of the game. you got to have those guys. And do the Celtics have enough of them? I think they, they maybe they do. Because I, I do still believe in Hayward as a player. I believe in Marcus Smart. Like, I want Marcus Smart out there at the end of the game. Jalen Brown's awesome. Kemba has shown throughout his career, even though he hasn't had a ton of playoff history, like he's a guy that you're not like afraid that he has the ball in his hands. I think you're a little bit afraid that his injury may hamper his play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, <clears throat> I uh, I believe in that team a little bit more than I did, you know, a few weeks ago. And so I'm interested to see what that Celtics team can do come playoff time, especially that they're going to to miss, likely miss the Bucks in round two. You know, can they get to the what, to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then what do they look like when they get there against Milwaukee? And do they have enough? And they may they may have enough. Like I would not. The only other so I think the Bucks will make the finals. A few weeks ago, Alex and I talked about which team could make the finals outside of the Bucks, and I said the Sixers. I think it's the to me it's the Celtics now. Like I just. I think that they've got something. I think there's something there with them uh, that they could make. They could make a stretch run, and if Tatum can keep this up to any level, I I believe that they could get there. Yeah, they have the, the beauty of the Celtics is that besides Kemba Walker, they don't really have any defensive liability because Ennis will not play in the playoffs. Not against. Um, well, not many minutes first, and then probably not against the Bucks. Um, and and they have like three really versatile wings that can switch, that can do multiple things. And, and when Smart is on the court, they have four. Uh, they have four guys that can do whatever they want in terms of, of switching. Plus, they have um, a few other guys in Tice and, and and Grant Williams that I think can do the same. So yeah, if Kemba like Tice is good. Yeah, Tice is a, is a useful player. Um, I mean, guys like Tice are the ones that you seek uh, and then you overpay. Uh, but if you can get them on the first contract, like uh, Bertans for the Spurs, um, yeah. those are the value guys. Uh, because, I mean, uh, he, he is not a very, very good offensive player. He is not a very, very good defensive player, but he can do both things. He's not 
a total minus on offense, and he provides you toughness, defense. It's very similar to the role that Baines had uh, with them um, a couple of seasons ago. And, um, and he's probably a little bit more reliable uh, with his jump shot, or at least uh, it seems. Uh, Baines is having, like, of course, a good season, uh, or, or he had at the beginning of the season. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I like the fact that they, if Kemba has another gear to go in the playoffs, if he is the focal point of the offense besides Tatum, uh, then they have something there. Uh, if, if Kemba somehow is not up to the challenge of being uh, a monster offensively, I don't think they have enough. Because, I mean, again, Milwaukee will play extremely good defense and a very sustainable offense. So you have to do something more. And even if I believe that Tatum can beat this player, um, I don't think that that is enough to beat Milwaukee as of today. For the Sixers, I mean, this I mean, the Sixers scares me a lot. Well, not not scare because I mean uh, I don't have anything uh, on them. So, but I mean, the they have problems that they need to solve in in a, in a matter of the next two weeks because then it's too, it's too late. They, they are not healthy. It's and that is a problem. And it seems that they don't have a clear idea. Um, as Zach Lowe said in uh, probably in the podcast with Simmons or whoever, I don't remember. I'm not sure who is the best starting five or the best five for them. Um, and and they don't know either. So either they clear this up uh, in, the, in the next two, three weeks or the playoffs are like unforgiven. So... I, I don't think they 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 can ha- they can have a very good run if they if they don't pull it together in the next two three weeks. One more thing about the Sixers that I think is interesting is that Zach Lowe was asked by Bill Simmons about Chris Paul and two questions about Chris Paul. One, is he tradable this summer? And then two, uh, will the Thunder trade him? And he said yes and yes. Yeah. <laughs> And so he brought up the Sixers as a potential trade partner. And we kind of kicked this around a little bit on the group chat for Down to Dunk, which includes all of the, the people that are on the, on the pods, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And to me, there's a deal there that involves Al Horford. Uh, because I don't think they're going to give us Simmons or Embiid for Chris Paul. They would be very, very stupid to. Now, if you could get Ben Simmons in a deal for Chris Paul, I mean, that changes the calculus of just everything for OKC and how they yep. proceed moving forward. Because if you have Shea and Ben Simmons on your team, then you just try to go get other guys, right? You just try to provide shooting for both of them. And you've got, you've got a team to build around, you know? And so... Now, like you, you really just have Shea. Like you've got Shea. That's your, that's your building block. That's who you've got. But if you have Shea and Ben Simmons, then you have two guys. Okay, great. A lot of times, all you need is two guys, and then a great supporting cast that makes sense for both of those guys. In which I think they complement each other pretty well. Um, as a screen and roll partner mm-hmm. for Shea, Ben Simmons is would be horrifying because he finishes so well around the basket, and if you just if, if you could just get Ben Simmons to be like a around the rim four type of guy, 
in which he's really kind of a point guard, but like if you could get him to be the screener and then he could operate out of there and make passes out to shooters, I mean, you could do so much. And Shea's a guy that is going to be able to shoot out of the pick and roll, off the dribble, all that stuff. Uh, I think they're they're actually like a really interesting match for each other. I don't think they're going to get that. I don't think they can get a deal like that done. I don't think the Sixers are dealing Ben Simmons. Uh, and so I think Al Horford makes the most sense money-wise. And so you could have a Al Horford, Tybal or Zaire Smith. I think you'd rather have Tybal for sure. Um, and then another contract filler. And you probably ask for a pick because of what you're taking back in Al Horford. Mm. And even, even with that, would you do that deal? One, would you do that deal? Two, do the Thunder need a pick back or do you just see Matisse or Zaire as the asset? I think that you need to attach a pick because the way in which how Horford devalued his own contract this season is pretty substantial. And so I, I don't see them giving to the Sixer a healthy Chris Paul and getting back three years of uh, how for coming off yeah. such a bad year. So no, you, you really need to pick there. And probably there are ways in which you can maximize Horford in other systems. And not even in OKC. I mean, if you if you think about uh, a deal with the Warriors, for example, um, getting back Wiggins because they will be off the Wiggins experiment, I think in July, and maybe get getting an extra asset there. I mean, there are ways to maximize Horford. It's just not with Embiid, um, and so I think that maybe OKC can bump up his value a little bit, especially if if they play him in um, in lineups where he's the only center and blah, 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 and maybe then dealing him uh, somewhere uh, later. So yeah, yeah. That, that trade is doable, but what if you do uh, Horford and Ben Simmons to OKC for Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari in the summer, and two or three first-round picks? Would you say yes to that? Ooh. Um, because money-wise, I think you are close because you you basically do a sign and trade for Gallinari and and you have around 44, 45 millions, probably a little bit more coming in. I don't know the um, no, probably more because Simmons will be around 30 and Horford is around 27, 28. So I think that if Gallo starts at 20, the money will be close to the same. Mm-hmm. But you have Simmons and Horford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting because Horford theoretically is a guy that if he is your full-time center and you could find a landing spot for Adams and then you put other shooting around like that, theoretically would be great. Yeah. You also have to ask yourself this question. Is Sim, would you rather wait and see if you could get somebody else in the draft in the next three years that could be your running mate with Shea? Or are you okay with tying yourself to Ben Simmons? The future of the yeah, that's, that's the question. I, my point on going to, towards Ben Simmons Ben Simmons is on how many drafts are you not happy with Simmons at number one? Yeah, it's a great question. I like him. I think that he is probably underrated at this point because I think people just hate that he doesn't shoot and can't shoot. And I Mm -hmm. get it because it is a problem with the position that he plays. 
But if you were able, I mean, just kind of like Russell this year, where Russell, everybody's beating their head against the wall for two years with Russell because he won't stop taking threes. And if you just put it, he was put in a better situation and he also decided to change, <laughs> you know, yep. Russell decided to change. I don't think Ben Simmons needs to change. I think Ben Simmons needs a better situation mm-hmm. uh, around him to maximize the type of player that he is. And the Sixers have done just about the worst job possible in doing that particular thing and putting a good team that makes sense around Simmons. Now I think yep. that the Sixers are probably just going to say no to any of this anyways. Uh, but if they were amenable to it, I think that it, it's something that you have to really consider because you're right. You're not guaranteed a player that's as good as Ben Simmons in the next three drafts. Yeah. And you still may get a really good pick from the Rockets or the Clippers in the next you know, three to five years. That could still happen. And then you can add to it. So to me, it's a, it's a, it would it'd be a huge dilemma. And if you're only giving up three picks and you still have a bajillion picks after that, I mean, to me... You give away the best ones, of course. Like the unprotected ones far away in the future because I don't see any other ways in which you can you can lure the Sixers into doing something like that. And yeah, it'd be really good. They're also dealing with Elton Brand, who has done some really bad deals recently. And so yeah. you don't know. You don't know what you can get away with. It, it takes just one thing. To, to make this trade real because, well, there, there, it will take many things, but uh, one starter for this is the Sixers collapse into the playoffs and Ben Simmons and Embiid are not on the same page. And if that happens and you have to trade him, you have to trade one of the two, I think, I really think that OKC has the best case to to make a trade that, that works with the Sixers because, I mean... How many teams can throw four picks at the Sixers and and don't even blink? It's the only team that can do that. And, yeah. and on the top of that, you have the player that that that, that the Sixers need in order to complement Joel Embiid perfectly. So so yeah, it's not real until there is uh, something that happens between Embiid and, and Simmons, something like more su- substantial than like not being probably best friends. Yeah. And then if you're the Sixers, you're then putting your hope in Chris Paul and Joel Embiid, who have uh, not a stellar uh, injury history, you know? I mean, it's, that's... Yeah, that's but it gives you a window. Plus, you extend extend what you have because you, you have the picks. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I I, I get it. Uh, I would not do that if I'm the Sixers. I would yeah. try to. I would try to figure it out with those two. Uh, just because you tank so hard for so many years to get those two that to me, I would rather find different combinations. I'd rather deal Horford. I'd rather do that. I would try to work a deal with the thunder to give away assets and Horford to get Chris Paul. Cause I don't think Chris Paul is a bad idea for even those two to help kind of link those two because he can shoot. He makes good decisions. He plays alongside guys. He's done well. Although the last time he, the last two times he was in a situation where he wasn't the alpha, then what, what happened? It wasn't a great situation in the end. And so that's, that's what's been great for OKC is that he is the alpha and everybody looks up to him and everybody sees him as the point God here. And it's wonderful because not only does he not have to shoulder the scoring load, but everybody looks up to him and everybody takes 
everything from him and they know that he's the guy. He was their all-star. And I'm sure that he is loving this moment because he gets to play for a winning team. Everybody loves him, looks up to him. He gets to be like the father figures of the team. And he gets to be the all-star and gets all the shine, you know, and -hmm. gets to rebuild his reputation and all this stuff. It's this great franchise and they cater to him and they let him fly back to LA to see his family all the time. I mean, it's just all great stuff for him. What is that like in Philly? You know? Yeah. What is that like when Joel Embiid is like, I'm the guy and Ben Simmons is like, I'm the guy. And Chris Paul is like, I'm better than both of you. You know, <laughs> just give me the ball to close the game and, and, and yeah, get out of the me, way. Yeah. You how to do this, you yeah. know? And I just wonder if it's the same type of, can you create the same type of environment? Yeah. Um, for, uh, for Chris. Question. So there's a lot of layers to all this. I think is, is super interesting. Um, but I do think that the offseason, as the offseason approaches, after the playoffs, everything plays out, and we'll see how OKC does. I do think that we are heading toward at least discussions about a Chris Paul trade. And I think it's something that we need to kind of prepare ourselves for. Because I do think that we're still on on the same track. I'm I'm not sure what this team could do to change the course of where this team is headed. I'm not sure what they could do. I think part of what could change it, and it's not even their performance, is if no team step up and say, we want Chris Paul. Yeah. And then it's like, okay. Well, let's let's give it a go again. Yeah. We'll do it again. Well, and we'll refine Gallinari and we'll try it. We'll try it again. Yeah. I think that, but, but the two things are very connected. Like if OKC goes well, like say that they upset someone in the first round, then it's probably Chris Paul. And so someone will want him. If they go yeah. down, like oh, like if they got swept, but like if someone sweeps them, then probably Chris Paul didn't have a great playoff, and 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 that makes it harder to trade. I think that, but in that situation, you say, well, give me whatever, and just let's start this rebuild because this team has yeah. no future now, and and it it doesn't make sense to hold on. And then probably a team like Zach Lowe said, like Miami, can give you Olenek that is really outside of the rotation. It's not like the player that used to be for Spolstra. Um, and maybe a few other contract uh, to to make it. Maybe the Goodall deal. And you just, you just yeah. cut him. Uh, and, and that's it. You, you have there around 30 millions. And Miami can, make, uh, can take the difference now because they are not hard cap. And so, even a trade like that, Olenek, Igudala, it just just cuts ways. Maybe a second round or a, a slightly reworking of the picks without getting anything else, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe you ask for one of their young guys in it, and they probably say no. But maybe you can get one of them. Maybe you can get yeah. Duncan Robinson as a just maybe. a pure shooter to come over in the trade, or Casey Okpala, who. Never played for them. Oh, I am sure they give you Casey Apollo. And I'm not sure I'm particularly interested in him, but he is a prospect. Yeah. Yeah. You can just roll the dice. It's better. If you want to start a rebuild, you have to trade Chris Paul. You just have to do it. There's no other way around it. And either. Yeah. You don't rebuild with Chris Paul on your team. You just, you can't do it. He's, to me, as long as he's healthy and the, I mean, the plant based diet is is kind of been a joke, but it's not a joke at all. He said it's helped with inflammation and all these things that have kind of kept him down throughout the years. I mean, this could really be a huge turning point for him in his career and something that will keep him healthy in his later in his career and probably awesome for the science of the future of the NBA. 
is, hey, when you turn this corner and you're 30, if you switch to this plant-based diet, you may be able to play longer. And so I think it's super interesting. I really do believe that it could be a huge part of how Chris Paul moves um, into the latter stages of his career. And I believe he'll play for a long time. I mean, he's an all-star this year for crying out loud. This is a, this is a huge deal. And so I'm really interested to see, <clears throat> you know, how he, who he moves on to. Cause I think the heat is a great situation for him because you got Jimmy Butler, you have Bam uh, and you have this uh, really a, a team that can find guys on the fringes to bring yeah. in. And you're a contender in the East. I mean, honestly, that that team, if you just put Chris Paul on it, I mean, are they on par with the Celtics? I mean, maybe. I mean, I think Jimmy Butler is really, really good. Yeah. And I think Bam will get better. And Chris Paul is obviously a very good player. And so maybe you go for it. And if and you may not have to give up that much to get Chris Paul this no. summer. No, no. And, and so to me, it's worth the roll of the dice for them. Just because you are, you're with you, you've got Jimmy, and Jimmy's clock is ticking, and you've got to figure it out. And to me, if you could get him for salary, salary relief plus like a smaller asset, even like Duncan Robinson or Casey Apollo or somebody, like that's a small price to pay to get a player that's going to raise the ceiling of your team. And you only have a certain window to make things happen. And so to me, it's a, it's a really interesting, it'll be a very, very interesting summer for OKC. We still have a lot of this season to get to. We've got the Clippers game we talked about, which will be very interesting. They, it's a road heavy month for the thunder. And so I'm, it will, this is another kind of tough month. I think they play 14 games this month and a large chunk of them are on the road. So that's something to watch for. How do they perform? How do they react to that? They've played really well on the road uh, recently. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to see how the Thunder closes out this month. McKelly, thanks for coming on the show. Follow McKelly on Twitter at Mikey Barra. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. Thanks so much for listening. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll just take a few seconds. I know a lot of you have done that. I've read them. Uh, It means a lot to me. It means a lot to all of our guys. So please take the time to do that. Hope you guys have a great day. And we'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday.